Hello and welcome to the Who Says No NBA Trade Podcast, where we have very big news. We have an actual NBA trade to talk about. I believe this is the first time this has happened since we started the podcast. My name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I'm an NBA writer at CBSSports.com. Joining me as always is Sam Quinn, who is now in Las Vegas of all places, so he can lose all of his money on gambling. Sam, uh, how are you reacting to this news? And have you lost all your money yet? I came so close to making a massive Nets Eastern Conference bet like two days ago. I was staying at the Westgate Hotel, which is where the Superbook is located. I came so close, man. I'm really regretting missing out on that chance. But you know what? This seems really appropriate. You know, I'm in Las Vegas. You go big or you go home. That's where we're at right now. We're not starting out with some rinky-dink Timofey Mozgov trade. No, no. We're jumping right into the deep end. Our first trade is the biggest trade. I mean, in how long? Like, since Anthony Davis? Is this a bigger trade than that? Uh, I think Anthony Davis is probably as big, particularly, you know, revisionist history a little bit, uh, you know, kind of confirmation bias. The Lakers did win the championship. So having a trade that resulted in another team winning the championship is probably a little bit bigger. It's more important, but is it bigger? Right. I mean, I think the ramifications of this league wide, I mean, obviously four teams in the deal, a number of others affected by it. A number of other teams tried to get James Harden like. I think this is sort of like an everything's bigger in Texas deal where like Texas is not the best state in the United States. I'm just putting that out there. Sorry, Texas listeners. Wow. Just going biggest. right after it. And you know what? That fits perfectly because this trade involved a Texas team, the Houston Rockets. So, yeah, let's just make sure everybody's on the same page. Let's go over what the trade entailed. James Harden got traded, by the way. I don't even know if we've mentioned that, but I, I assume I anyone sincerely hope knows. we're not breaking that news. They're <laughs> <laughs> listening to this in the morning. Like, wait, what? brushing their teeth, spitting out their crest into the sink. Uh, so the Rockets uh, have obviously been trying to trade James Harden for a while. He um, had an interesting press conference the other night where he basically said his team was a bunch of losers and it was never going to work. So uh, the trade talks accelerated and he got dealt to the Brooklyn Nets. So in the deal, uh, the Rockets, uh, the Nets end up getting James Harden. That's all they got in the deal. The Rockets end up with uh, Victor Oladipo, which we'll talk about later because that was probably supposed to be Karis LeVert. But Victor Oladipo, Rodion's Kuruks, somehow they ended up with Dante Exum. I don't know what's going on there. And uh, the big haul from Brooklyn is four unprotected first round picks, 2022, 2024, 26, and Milwaukee's 2022 pick, plus four unprotected swap rights. So 2021, 2023, 2025. 2027. Basically, every pick that the Nets had went to the Rockets. Somehow the Pacers and Cavs got involved. The Pacers ended up getting Karis LeVert uh, to exchange for Victor Oladipo and a 2023 second round pick from Houston. And the Cavs just swoop in. I'm like, we'll take Jared Allen. Sure. So they get Jared Allen and Torian Prince out of the deal. Sam, this is, as as promised, a Texas-sized trade. What are your first initial takeaways from this? Is it wrong that the two big winners of this trade, to me, were the two teams that did not either trade or acquire James Harden? Because yeah, like you're Cleveland sagging already. Out, Cleveland made out like bandits here. Like They got Jared Allen for Milwaukee's first-round pick. And did you watch Parks and Recreation? Of course. There's this great quote, Ron Swanson, fish meat is practically a vegetable. That's how I feel about Milwaukee first-round <laughs> picks. They're practically second-round picks. So they essentially got an early second – they gave up an early second-round pick and some salary filler, and they get Jared Allen, who could be their long-term starting center. Like, that's a hell of a deal for Cleveland. Indiana, meanwhile, 
Number one, they got out of the tax, which is important for them because they're never going to pay the tax. Number two, they got off Victor Oladipo, who apparently didn't want to be there anyway. He wants to go to the Heat. Number three, they get Karis LeVert, who's under team control for three more years. And is Karis LeVert, like, as good as Victor Oladipo? He's pretty close, right? I love Karis LeVert. We've talked about Karis LeVert on this podcast before, and you were insisting that he wasn't good enough for the— Harden package, and apparently you're right because they wanted Victor Oladipo instead. I stand by that statement. I mean, really, what happened here clearly is that the other teams that we thought should have traded for James Harden just wouldn't any up. That's what happened. Brooklyn didn't have the best offer; they had the best offer on the table, which is ultimately what matters. So I don't think Karis LeVert is like a future star or anything. But hey, Victor Oladipo just missed two years with injury. How valuable is he really? I really like this for Indiana. So. We're going to talk about you know, the team that actually got James Harden, but let's not stop there and let's acknowledge that the two teams that managed to sneak their way into this trade did very well for themselves. And the team you're kind of talking about you know, without mentioning their name, uh, the other team in the race for James Harden were the 76ers, and uh, uh, apparently whatever package the Rockets were asking for, they weren't willing to go with. It, it was kind of reported that Ben Simmons was on the table, but apparently there were some other sticking points that perhaps they, they didn't want to follow through with. So, you know, time will tell um, if the Nets just absolutely obliterate everyone and, and win the NBA title, uh, the Sixers might be a little upset. But if, you know, James Harden continues to be out of shape and doesn't fit in well with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons is awesome, maybe the Sixers don't regret it that much. Well, I'll ask you the basic question before we get into the Nets. Would you rather have Ben Simmons or everything Houston got? We talked about this in, in NBA Slack, and it's it's really, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Like, these future picks are great until they're not. Um, and then you think, am I actually going to use these picks to get anyone who's better than Ben Simmons? Not only, you know, drafting someone, but packaging the picks in some way to get someone better than Ben Simmons. And the answer is, I don't know. What I will say is that, if you're thinking about kind of starting from scratch or, you know, rebuilding your team around somebody, I'm not sure that Ben Simmons is that guy. I think that's someone who, you know, as talented and as incredible as he is, to me, needs to be around other great players to kind of unlock that greatness. So if you're going to start from scratch and say, you know, we're getting rid of our franchise player, we're bringing in a new one. I don't know if Simmons is exactly that guy for me, but he's incredibly talented and maybe they won't do any better. What do you think? Well, he was just around an incredibly talented player in Joel Embiid, and we've spent years saying, oh, they don't fit, right? Like, I don't think it's a matter of talent. I think he has to be around the right players. He has to be on a team with four shooters around him. I think that would have been a tough initially in Houston with John Wall there, but Christian Wood is kind of the perfect center for him, right? Like, great pick and roll threat can shoot. I mean, he's not a great defender, but Simmons can cover up for him there. If you start with those two as your foundation, all you really have to do is just find great three and D guys to put around them. Maybe another, uh, another score, another initiator somewhere, like even if it's off the bench, I just think, look, I love, I'm, I'm the blowed up guy on the show. I love you trading are. for picks. I mean, I'm not going to fault Houston for saying we want control of Brooklyn's picks when the last team that got control of Brooklyn's picks ended up with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, clearly that's a smart investment. I'm not going to blame them for it. But if Brooklyn could have, or rather, if Boston in 2013 could have gotten a Ben Simmons caliber young player, I don't know who that would have been at the time. Like, if they could have gotten, like, a young Paul George at that point, they would have done that. 
I think if you have a chance to get a 24 year old, all, all NBA player, you just do it and you figure the rest out later. I get that the fit wouldn't have been great right away. I just think there are so few of those guys. If you have a chance to get that guy, don't let Tyrese Maxey be the sticking point. Don't let Matisse Thibel be the sticking point. Just get him and figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I see where, definitely see where you're coming from, but I also see how Brooklyn 2026 and 2027 picks could be pretty exciting for you if they're <laughs> they're unprotected. You know what I mean? I would argue that any team in basketball trading for James Harden, you would want their 2026 or 2027 picks. We've talked about this with Golden State too, right? I mean, we would have talked about it with Philly. I mean, if with given Embiid's injury history, if you're adding James Harden, who's 31 right now, in 2027, he's going to be 38, not helping. So, of course, any team that's adding James Harden, their pick is probably going to be really valuable down the line. And that was a chip that basically any team had to offer. Brooklyn was just the one that antied up and offered it. Right. And <laughs> if you look at the Nets, you have, uh, you know, Kevin Durant coming off Achilles, Kyrie Irving, who's always injured and is now kind of off in the ether doing his own thing, and James Harden, who can't seem to keep a teammate for more than a season. So if you're betting on, uh, you know, the longevity of that Brooklyn Nets dynasty, chances are you're, you're probably not going to make much money. So I can see why the Rockets would be interested in those those later picks. But in terms of Brooklyn, which is the reason for this podcast, they obviously now become, you know, if not the title favorite, at least up there, um, probably the favorite in the East and up there with the Lakers and maybe Clippers, depending on how you feel about them. Uh, the question is, are, are they done making moves? What else can they do to kind of bolster this team? Um, unlike a lot of teams in this situation, we require three stars. Uh, the Nets actually do have a little bit of flexibility, and I'll let you talk about that, Sam. But uh, what do you think that the Nets will be able to do over the course of the next few months in order to kind of get ready for that championship run? Well, I want to challenge your contention that they are close to the championship favorites because they're not. Okay. Right now, now don't get me wrong, they could get there. But right now, if they played the Lakers in the seven-game series, they would lose. It's that you're, simple. They just see, you're the same guy that keeps telling me if you get James Harden. And you have three superstars. You're a title contender. This, you're the same. I have, I have the receipts. I'm going to play this for you. No, I'm not saying that it was a bad move, and I'm not saying they can't win the championship. I'm saying right now, as their roster is currently constructed with only 12 players on it, with only half of them having any meaningful NBA experience, like they would lose. I'm sorry. The Lakers are just that good. Now, they can improve, and that's what we're going to get into. For a team with three superstars, you're right. They actually do like have some chips to play here. They don't have much draft capital. What they do have is salary flexibility. So there are three ways they could add talent theoretically. The first is the mid-level exception. They would have to use the taxpayer version. In the off-season, that's worth around $5.7 million. In-season, that prorate, so it depends on when you use it. I would wager if they're using it on the buyout market, that's around $3 million, something like that, between 3 and $3.5 million, which is more than the minimum. It's more than other teams can offer. So they have a bit of a leg up. The second chip is the disabled player exception, which they got after Spencer Dinwiddie tore his ACL, or rather they applied for. They haven't technically gotten it. We would assume that they will get it. They should get That's it, right? Worth, they, I would think that they're going to get it. That's worth half of Dinwiddie's salary, which also comes out to $5.7 million. But there are two big differences there. Number one, it does not prorate. It will be $5.7 million until it expires or it's used. And number two, it doesn't have to be used in free agency. It can be used in trades. So if there's a player making $5.5 million somewhere that they want, they can trade for him without giving anything up, great. Number three, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, right? Like Spencer Dinwiddie is clearly not as valuable today as he was a month ago because he tore his ACL. 
But Spencer Dinwiddie is $11.4 million in matching salary that you can send out, you know, maybe with some second round picks, maybe to a team that wants his bird rights, maybe to a team that thinks he can help them next year. So they have some things to work with. They have their own second round picks as well. They're not going to make any blockbuster deals with all that, but they have some chips here to add depth, which is really what they need, right? I mean, they just made a four for one trade. I personally was not as high on their depth as, you know, most people were at least coming into the season. My hand you know, is Kyrie, raised. You can't see, but my hand is raised. I was all, oh, okay, Colin, every, every show that I went on, I was talking about how deep this team was. So, I mean, we talked about it a long time ago. They weren't even playing Bruce Brown. And now this guy's getting some run. Everybody's okay. like, oh, oh, Bruce Brown. My oh. counter to that is that they were giving major run to Torian Prince. And I think if you're playing Torian Prince, you can't be the deepest team in the NBA, right? Like, that was the thing that really got to me was like, okay, I understand the upside, but they're playing Jeff Green major minutes. Like, Jeff Green is not somebody you want to be playing major minutes. Jeff Green is somebody you want to have as a luxury. You can have the one big game when you need it, but you don't want to be sitting through the 20 bad games he's going to have before. The Lakers are the deepest team in the NBA, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Yeah. My point obviously, was... Obviously, I, Dinwiddie going down hurt their depth. That's all I'm saying. Right. Well, and Kyrie disappearing off the face of the earth hurt their depth. <laughs> yeah, I love how like, that's they like part the of this, tonight. this they trade played that's the happening. Tonight, you know? And Reggie Perry, who barely played in the NBA, like got major minutes and looked good for them. Like, Chris Tioza was playing. Like, I'm not saying that they have bad depth. I'm just saying they have a lot less of it than they used to. So these tools that they have at their disposal, like... They're going to get guys who have to play for them. There are at least two rotation spots on this roster right now that do, are not currently held by players in the team. Somebody's going to come in a trade and somebody's going to come in free agency and they're going to look different when the playoffs come. So what are their most glaring needs? Where do they need the biggest upgrade? I mean, power forward is the obvious one. I mean, they didn't they didn't have a starting caliber power forward unless you want to count Kevin Durant. I would think of him as a small forward, but they didn't have a starting caliber small forward before this. And now... Not only do they not, they missed out on probably their best chance to get one, right? I mean, we've talked about P.J. Tucker a lot on this show. P.J. Tucker would have been a great fit for the Nets. I don't know how they make this trade with every first-round pick that they had and didn't come away with with P.J. Tucker. Now, the funny thing is, there was such a simple fix for this, right? I mean, Houston had another thing that they probably should have accomplished in this deal, which is getting off of Eric Gordon's contract, which frankly is awful. So why not do both in in one fell swoop? Why not send Dinwiddie to Houston, get back Tucker, and take on Eric Gordon's contract? Problem solved. You might have had to add a little bit more matching salary on the Brooklyn side, but that would have solved both of their problems. Now, the Nets don't have the chips to add somebody like Tucker. They've got to go further down the list. Is there any chance that P.J. Tucker doesn't want to play with James Harden anymore? <laughs> is that is that a possibility, or is that not something that happens? I'm open to that. I, I, think I mean, do you think after, he told Houston, like, look, guys, I know you're trying to trade hard. Please, please don't send me anywhere with him. I hadn't considered that, but I'm definitely open to it. I mean, playing with James Harden is tough, right? A lot of guys can't do it. A lot of guys don't like just standing in the corner and doing nothing on offense. So maybe he wants to go somewhere that he can actually, like, move around a little bit. God forbid he take a dribble every now and then. Like, you know what? I, I'm into that. You know what? Maybe that's what happened. And he seems uh-huh. like, so exhausted, you know, not just because he plays 40 minutes a game as hard as he possibly can, but like, you know, all the contract negotiations and feeling underappreciated and kind of having to be the the workhorse on that team. I just feel like, man, if he just had the opportunity to go somewhere okay. and take a deep breath. I'm going to make a totally irrelevant point here. When LeBron James doesn't want, or rather when LeBron James wants one of his teammates to get paid, he just doesn't sign a contract, right? Like, that's what he did with Tristan Thompson. 
That's what he did for J.R. Smith. He just waited. James Harden never did that for P.J. Tucker. James Harden never went to bat for P.J. Tucker in such a public way. I'm just saying, maybe James Harden's not as good a teammate as LeBron. I, I don't think he'd receive a lot of uh, argument against that. Bring it up. I, I don't know how P.J. Tucker is not in the Nets. I mean, to your point, uh, like you, you mentioned, they're glaring holes at power forward. Here he is, a, a guy who will solve all your problems. I don't know. It's weird. That's why I came up with the P.J. PJ could, Tucker doesn't want to play with Harden anymore theorem. I could understand Houston you know, drawing a line in the sand and saying, no, we want to keep P.J. PJ Tucker either, A, because we want to try to win this year, which I disagree with, but that seems like what they want to do, or B, we want to trade P.J. Tucker somewhere else. We already have all your first-round picks. Now we want to go get somebody else's. Those are the only explanations I can come up with, but that's bad negotiating on Brooklyn's part, right? Like, I don't know how you come away from this trade without P.J. Tucker. I don't think Houston is walking away from the table if you say P.J. Tucker or bust. That's my point. I, I just think it was bad negotiating. And you talk about power forwards. I mean, we can also talk about centers, right? Jared Allen's gone. Now DeAndre Jordan is, you know, theoretically your starting center again, and he was already uh, had lost that position uh, this year. And then you've got Nicholas Claxton and Reggie Perry backing him up, who are guys that probably aren't going to help you much in the playoffs. So, I mean, you're looking at you need to add like a couple of big men here, right? Well, first things first, I think the idea is that, oh, we need to add a backup center behind DeAndre Jordan. You're right. I don't think he's a starter anymore. I mean, he's played 17 minutes a game this year. He really hasn't been very good. I wonder if their thought at all, and I mean, having Jeff Green in-house helped because he did this with Harden last year, is we're going to play 10 or 15 minutes of small ball every night Mm. where either Jeff Green is the center or Kevin Durant's the center. But you have to have another traditional center option on the roster other than DeAndre Jordan because DeAndre Jordan's not very good, right? And if you really think about what it means to be a center on a finals team this year— it probably means guarding Anthony Davis a lot. <laughs> you want DeAndre Jordan guarding Anthony Davis? I wouldn't. And it's by the also, way, might counter and say, oh, well, Kevin Durant can guard Anthony Davis. Then who's guarding LeBron? Yeah, and if you got to, I mean, even before that, if you got to get through the 76ers, you got to have someone who can guard and bead consistently. I mean, you know, not a lot of teams play big, but you're going to have those challenges every once in a while, and you kind of need those uh those pieces in the chest in order to bring them out. So I don't know if DeAndre Jordan is the answer there, but how, how would the, how would the Nets go about upgrading these positions and there are any players you have your eye on for them? So I have a short buyout list. It's not going to be a great buyout market. I wouldn't expect. I mean, for a variety of reasons, right? With the play in fewer teams are just going to say we give up. Uh, I think this will probably be a fairly active trade deadline. So a lot of these guys that might've gotten bought out probably get traded. So the dream scenario here, Cleveland was in this trade. They got Jared Allen. They presumably got Jared Allen because they want to start him. Suddenly, Cleveland has way too many centers, right? You know, Kevin Love is still lurking on that roster. Larry Nance. Kevin, Kevin Love's still in the NBA? Technically, he is still in the NBA. Are you breaking news right now? <laughs> um, and then, obviously, we have two guys who have been playing for them and, frankly, have been playing pretty well, Andre Drummond and JaVale McGee. Do they really need both of those guys if Jared Allen is on the roster? Probably not. So maybe one of those guys gets waived and can go to the Nets and give them 15 minutes a night. That, I think, would be the dream scenario, especially Drummond. Right. I don't think that's realistic. I think if Drummond changes teams, someone will trade for him. But if you're asking Brooklyn, like, what is the closest to realistic that we think that we would love, it would be Drummond. A um, couple other guys going down the list. Gorgie Jang is in a fight for his life. 
for minutes in Memphis. And I think ultimately, especially when Jaron Jackson comes back, there's a good chance he's not going to play much. And that's also a team that we've argued about their tanking prospects in the past. I don't think that they're really competing to win anything this year. So I think there's a good chance he's gone. Cody Zeller, if Charlotte inevitably goes in the tank, which I think we both assume they will. And what if Bradley Beal gets traded? Suddenly Robin Lopez is expendable in Washington. So maybe Robin Lopez. Both Lopez brothers having played in Brooklyn at one point then. So those are the high-level center options I can see on the buyout market. Nothing great, but you can get 15 minutes out of those guys. So you're looking at more of like an amalgam center at that point where you're just kind of piecing together, you know, a starter, a backup, and then some small ball. Your Durant minutes. Yeah. I mean, let's be realistic here. If they play the Lakers in the finals, Anthony Davis is destroying them. There's no there's no way around that, right? I mean, he's destroying everybody, though. That's as you always got to get in trouble with like, oh, we need to stack our roster. Is that was what the Clippers did, right? I mean, they had their own problems, but they were perfectly tailored to to deal with LeBron James and have, uh, you know, those guys on the wing and everything. And then they never got there because they lost to the Nuggets. Well, there are degrees to it, right? I mean, there are matchups where Anthony Davis is scoring an efficient 28 per night, and there are matchups where he's scoring an efficient 40 per night, right? Like, that's sort of where I'm at with Brooklyn. You're not going to hold Anthony Davis to, like, 19 points a game. It's not going to happen. You have to get to a point where it's within reason, and he's not shooting, like, 16 of 22 every night. And also, I mean, even before, like, I'm just looking at the roster. Who's guarding Giannis? What are they doing in town? Are they building a wall? Is it KD? I mean, Jeff Green? Who are we looking at well, here? Let's also point out, you can't build the wall against Milwaukee this year because they're actually making their threes. If well, Milwaukee keeps shooting like this, it's over. Milwaukee's they play ten, 10 games. I mean, right, but I'm saying <laughs> if Milwaukee keeps making their threes at this rate, which is obviously not a given, it's over. The Nets aren't going to make the finals anyway because the Nets, the, the um, Bucks right now, have the most efficient offense in NBA history. Now, I don't know if that's going to sustain, but they're shooting at such a level. Like, I'm sorry, if Brooklyn, if the, if the Bucks are shooting 41% on threes, which is what they are right now, they're making the finals. Yeah, and it's wild because, like, Giannis, he's playing much better now, but he, he started off the season, he was shooting, like, 46% or something. It's like, it's unheard of for Giannis. It's like, Chris Middleton is, is at 50%. Yeah, it's like, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a great point because we're looking ahead to the finals. I think a lot of people are looking at Brooklyn in terms of their, you know, championship status. But, I mean, they got to be from Milwaukee's playing like this, man. That's a, but but if anyone could score with them, it'll be the Brooklyn Nets, right? Well, yeah, I mean, Brooklyn, we have to look at them as an upside proposition, right? I mean, if every possession in a playoff game is initiated by either Kyrie Irving, James Harden, or Kevin Durant, you're going to score a lot of points at a point in the, in the season where scoring points is very difficult. So I understand the the notion that, oh, they're going to be so overwhelming on offense that it doesn't really matter what they do everywhere else. But like Milwaukee is right now anyway, just as good on offense. Oh, and they were the best defense in the league the past two years. So, you know, I don't think it's the slam dunk that, that people are making out to be. That's all I'm getting at with Brooklyn. They're clearly one of the favorites. I just, I don't look at them and think, oh my God, it's over in the way that some other people might. It's funny because I see I thought the same way and I think I'm on the record saying I wouldn't want to trade for Harden because I like their their depth. Obviously, Dinwiddie getting hurt kind of affected that. But and then I was like, I've convinced myself that now that they have there's these three guys that just kind of figure it out. But now you're you're turning me back the other way where now I'm so, thinking, what about let me the ask rest you a question here? Let me just ask you a quick question here. Where do you think the Nets are on defense when it's all said and done? Like, where do you think they rank out of 30? Oof. They're not. Where are they now? 
I think they're like have to look this up. They're they're like eleventh, but if you just isolate the last six or seven games, it's like twenty fifth. Like they started out really hot when they were playing the Warriors without Draymond and Boston without <laughs> like when they were playing all the injured teams. Then when right. they started playing good offenses, they started getting killed. So I'm just gonna throw out some numbers for you here. Let's say they're twentieth, which is I think a fair approximation. Maybe the best version is slightly better. Maybe they're slightly worse. Whatever. We'll just put them at twentieth. Also keep in mind that like the difference between twentieth and like thirteenth is usually like a point. So Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. But just hear me out on this. Yeah. The past fifteen NBA champions, their average net rating was plus seven point four. Last year, the twentieth defense allowed one hundred and eleven point six points per hundred possessions. So let's do some math. Math. If the Nets want to get to that point of that plus 7.4 where champions tend to be, they'd have to score 119 points per 100 points. <laughs> Do you know what the record is? Uh, Dallas last year, 115.9. They don't have to just break the record. They have to absolutely shatter it to get to that point. Now, there's a lot of variance on that. Like There were champions that were plus 4, and there were champions that were plus 11. The Lakers and the Bucks are both double digits right now. Like the Lakers and the Bucks are both better than a typical champion. So the Nets have a lot of work to do on either being so historic on offense that it doesn't matter what they do on defense or just getting to something resembling average on, on defense would be so huge for them. And honestly, I'm not convinced they can do it, especially because they missed on their chance to add PJ Tucker. I know we, we've harped on this. We're going to harp on it all season because I just, I can't get over how did they not get him. We're just going to be watching Nets games and just watching them get obliterated by some power forward. You're going to be like, hey, you know who could help right now? P.J. Tucker. Although the reverse of that is we're talking about the LeBron matchup and the Anthony Davis matchup. P.J. Tucker did not help against them last year. He did, he did the best he could. He's like six foot two, man. I don't, know, I don't know what he's supposed to do. How tall are you, Colin? Are you taller than P.J. Tucker? Uh, on my, uh, you know, high school, uh, scouting videos and stuff, I would say I was six, four, but I'm more like, uh, I'd say six, three, six, two and a right, half. Like, you know, you're doing the, you're doing the opening intro thing, you know, where, where Alan Iverson is six feet, but he's really like five, nine. Yeah. The yeah, old NBA where they used to measure with the shoes and the hair and add a couple inches. Yeah, you know, you've got a nice wingspan. You're an athlete. Like I think you yeah. could do that as well on Anthony Davis and some of the nets now. That would be, you know, uh, okay, now you've gotten me down memory lane. I can tell my old glory days. Uh, so I was a pretty good basketball player in high school. I played into a very small school. I was basically a power forward at 6'3", which is obviously not going to fly at the next level. But I went to, like, one of these showcase camps over the summer. This is where I'm still thinking I'm going to play college basketball, you know, D1 somewhere. And I get matched up with this, like, 6'7", lefty white dude. I'm pretty sure his name was Nick Kaner Medley, and he played at Maryland, but I can't be 100% on that. Name. Yeah, that's and an, another so another hyphen. Name. It was hyphen yeah, on I was hyphen crime. When when you get a hyphen and the second name really rolls into the third one, that's when you know you've got a great hyphen. It's true. Mine's a little forced. Ward Henninger doesn't yeah. doesn't really flow. But you I know, also until we hyphen. started this podcast, I didn't know if it was Henninger or Henninger. Yeah, Henninger. A lot of people call me Henninger. Like uh, I go on radio shows and they they say call Ward Henninger. Glad I got that right. Like they think it's right. I don't know why, but. Anyway, the point is, I played against this guy. Not only is he bigger than me and stronger than me, but he's also like incredibly quick and fast and just gets past me into the bucket every single time. So that was when I decided that I was going to play baseball in college instead of basketball. So quick aside. You know how tall my, the center was on my high school team my senior year? Six foot four. Five ten. We had a oh. better one. Won the district, too. 
Wow. Small private school district. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, we had a five ten center. It was like the, Ben Wall. The just round mound of rebound was he? Played a one three one zone, and we were not like, and I wasn't on the team, so I shouldn't be saying we, but it was my school. But won the district, lost to the same team twice in the regular season, beat them in the championship. Whole big thing. I won't get into it. But anyway, if we're talking about small big men, I have to bring them up. Um, right. Anyway. So PJ Tucker is why we're bringing this up, and you know he's they don't even have- though he's little. That doesn't mean that he can't guard bigger guys. Yeah, well, the point is, exactly, they, they don't have him, and we need to get into some of the guys they actually can get. The power forward spot is trickier because every team needs power forwards. No team has an excess. So, like, I'm looking at some of these buyout names. Could Chicago buy out Otto Porter? Probably not. I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't rule it out. I feel like uh, they like him. Don't they like him? It seems like they do, but, I mean, down the stretch, wouldn't you want to give more minutes to Patrick Williams? Well, that's, you know, again, you're thinking like, you know, you blow it up I'm territory. Thinking like I think these people are trying to, to develop my young players. Yeah, I think they're trying to like make the playoffs and stuff, though. Well, good luck with that. But anyway, <laughs> Trevor Ariza, who has not played for personal reasons. I mean, I'm not going to that. That seems a little Andre Iguodala ish, where if he were on a different team, he might. But whatever. I'm not going to get into that. And then yeah, the guy he, is he just available. He got sent home with a cocktail. They're like, just chill, so, Trevor. You're good. And then there's the guy who's available every February. James Ennis. Like, why not? What if Orlando's out of it? They don't need James, it. James Ennis has been bought out by the Orlando Magic. I mean, that's a headline we're going to see at some point. Anyway, <laughs> Do you want to rewrite that? I probably should for the 20 <laughs> people who would read that Just story. get ahead. Yeah. We'll be the first um, one with that. Anyway, I think this is the area where if they were going to make a trade, this is probably the position where they would take Dinwiddie's $11.4 million plus a couple second round picks and go to a team with an older power forward. Like going back to the bulls. What about that? He's young. That's interesting. I I'm not, you know, as high on him, but I can see how his skill set would, would, you know, be a good fit on this team. And, and like you mentioned, it's not like they have the entire world at their disposal. So they're never going to get that perfect guy because unless they got PJ Tucker, but they let him go. Um, but yeah, I, I like that. He's young. What would they have to do to get him? I'm thinking Dinwiddie, who, I mean, third guard for the Bulls next year, that's not the end of the world. Uh, a couple second-round picks, it works from a salary perspective. If the Bulls are out of it, I don't know why they wouldn't do this. It gets more minutes for Patrick Williams. This is also a very wing-heavy draft. So if you think of Williams as your four and you're going to draft a three next year, you're not going to re-sign Thaddeus Young, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's interesting. I like him. And I don't honestly, like... He's probably being a little underused on the Bulls. I know he's been kind of in and out of the lineup, but um, definitely a guy who, you know, could he start for the Nets, you think? He'd be the starting power forward? I mean, he wouldn't be a closing power forward. I mean, ultimately, they're probably closing with Duran at the four and Joe Harris at the three. But, yeah, I, and, I think— And who at the five? TBD. Jeff <laughs> um, Green? <laughs> maybe Jeff Green, maybe DeAndre Jordan, somebody who Anthony Davis is going to destroy. Andre Drummond. Um, Look, if it's Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis is still going to destroy him. It's just going to be slightly better, and you're at least going to get the rebounds. Uh, what about Rudy Gay? I have, I have a sweet spot in my heart for Rudy Gay. Um, I, I'm not sure. I guess I I know he can score still. Um, I haven't really been up to date on ha- tracking his defensive progression since he's been in San Antonio. Are you familiar with that? Like, is he a solid? He's tall, he's long, and he knows where to be. Yeah. He's just one of those like veteran guys who just like figures it out. My one doubt here is that Rudy Gay spent so many years in basketball hell in Sacramento 
And when he finally got out, like he seemed to really embrace San Antonio, just being on kind of a normal team. Do we really want to send him to that Brooklyn locker room? Like that doesn't seem fair to him. I think he's like he's like the sage veteran at this point. He comes in and like I've been through it all, I've seen it all. Look, if we don't get our you know what together, we're not going to win, guys. And he's also like that guy who's like game five of like the opening round, and the Nets just can't find any offense, and they're like. Rudy Gay has caught fire. He's hit five of five threes or something. You know, he seems like that type of guy. Rudy Gay cares about winning a ring. He doesn't strike me as that guy. He seems more like Vince Carter to me, where he's just happy to be a contributor on a normal team. You mean a guy who will sign with the Atlanta Hawks instead of chasing a ring? Well, we got to do a whole pot on that because I'm still mad he didn't finish his career with the Warriors. Just he knew Stephen Curry growing up. It was such a great story. Whatever. Uh, he doesn't strike me as somebody who's like, oh, I've got to go get to Brooklyn and go get my ring. I think Rudy Gay is perfectly content just like playing his 25 minutes on a decent, like not terrible team in San Antonio. I don't think this is something he would force the issue on, but he is an expiring contract. And, yeah. the and Spurs he, I think so he would still, still be playing 25 minutes for them. So why not? He might have to play 35 minutes for them. I mean, look, when your options are Jeff Green or Reggie Perry, who, you know, I shouldn't be smirch Reggie Perry because he was better than any Knicks frontcourt player. Love Reggie um, Perry in the draft. So, you know, who knows? Maybe Reggie Perry breaks out. Like, maybe they figure something out internally. But right now, their frontcourt is so thin. Yeah. I mean, if if Nick Claxton is the number two center on your your team, you you have a problem. Yeah, and Timothy Luwalu-Cabarro is looking at some major minutes here. Well, if you've ever bet against the Nets, you'd know to be terrified of that guy. He is the (laughs) ultimate, like... I'm going to do nothing for 42 minutes, and then I'm going to go four of four in this next six-minute stretch. I mean, he's another hyphen, too. That's the second hyphen that we brought up on the show. This has to be Maybe anyway. that's my issue. Maybe I can't bet against hyphens anymore. I, would, I wouldn't advise to bet against hyphens. You know, but we've so been, many teams we've have made fun of. We've been made fun of our whole lives. People can't pronounce our names. We can't fill out the SAT thing because you know, we have illegal characters when we try to fill out online forms. We've been through Wait, a lot. So on your SAT, were you just Colin Ward? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I, I couldn't because I had to use my real name. So I must have, it must have fit. Sometimes I had to get rid of the hyphen to squeeze it in. So I think it's 13 characters without the hyphen and 14 with. The best First was of when all, I was like eight years old and I, I got my name on the back of my like little baseball t-shirt jersey. And it just like literally went all the way around my number. Like Gilgis <laughs> Alexander? Oh, it's great. Colin Ward, like nothing against Henninger, it's a fine name. Colin Ward is like, that's an athlete's name. Like, oh, that's like you could tell me, oh, yeah, that's Charlie Ward's long-lost nephew. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, I knew that. It's funny because uh, growing up, I always thought, like, I don't see any hyphens in the pros. So I just thought, okay, I'd probably just have to drop my name if I'm going to play. It's not logical, but it's, you know. It's how it's <laughs> You'd fun. have to, like, that's a rule. Or just be like, no, you're just going to be Colin Ward for now. It's easier to fit on Jersey, you know, the program. It's a better performer name, right? Like, it's like Prince. Well, this is funny. So this we're God, we're so off topic, but it's fun. Um, so my mom said that when she named me and my brother, since we had this horrible long last name, that she gave us middle names that could serve as last names if we ever got into show businesses. So my 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 brother's name is Evan Christopher Ward Henninger. So he could be Evan Christopher. And my name is Colin Andrew Ward Henninger. So I could be Colin Andrew. Not bad. I like that. You know, you've got a lot of nice name options. <laughs> You ever, what was your athlete nickname? I mean, you were a D1 athlete, so you had to have had an, an athlete nickname. My name is, 
<laughs> we are going so far down the rabbit hole. Uh, the first day I got to Yale, I walked on. I had to try out. So I wore, probably looking back, this is a mistake. I wore my high school uniform to the tryout. My, so uh, my high school jersey was bright red, and I went to a school called Buckley, so it's at Buckley across the front. And I was pitching. I was, you know, very skinny uh, when I was 17 years old, trying out for the baseball team. And this was right after the height of uh, Danny Almonte at the Little League World Series. So when I made the team, everyone called me Danny Almonte for the first, oh, for my entire freshman year before they knew me. So. Um, I was I also very quiet. I didn't you were allowed to wear red at Yale, at Yale. I thought it was like, or is that just crimson? Yeah, crimson is a little different. But again, like I said, probably not the best choice. My my friends still make fun of me for that. I lived in New York during the height of Danny Almonte. Like, you should be honored. That was a very fun two weeks before everything went so wrong. <laughs> the guy threw gas, and then we realized he was 15 years old, so he should have been. I remember gas. thinking as a kid in New York, like, holy, first of all, thank God I was not in his little league. Second, that guy is going to be Randy Johnson one day. Didn't turn out that way. Yeah, we should have been suspicious when he drove to the games himself, but we digress. <laughs> How old would you have had to have been to have played that well in the Little League World Series? Like, me at 28, if I played in the Little League World Series right now, I would probably be just like an average player. That's a very good point. And the difficult part is you're pitching from 46 feet away it's very hard to make curveballs break at that short of a distance. Ah. So he figured something out. This is real insight from an actual former college athlete. The problem is not on the sport that this podcast is <laughs> This is what people come here for. Little Colin, make a basketball now. point. Get us back on track. Basketball. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets need to do something <laughs> before they expect to win the NBA championship. And I thought – looking at this roster with with just these three guys that they could do it but the more i look at it the more i'm leaning towards your side where i think here's my other question uh, how much guard insurance do they need because Kyrie is off in netherland doing whatever it is that he's doing yeah can we we talk about that for a second like is this normal are we just expecting this from Kyrie now or should we be concerned i mean i came into the year pretty concerned about Kyrie just from the perspective he always misses 30 games like that's sort of what i thought and he might miss 30 games just being away from the team before he gets hurt. My question now is like, how committed is this dude to basketball? That sounds very first takey. And I mean, I don't mean it to sound that way. Look, Kyrie, you're allowed to have other interests. I'm not blaming you for that. Like what you've done in social activism, it's, it's very important work. I'm not good for you. But if we're thinking about Brooklyn's championship odds and we don't know when Kyrie will be back, how invested he'll be when he comes back. I mean, somebody else made this point on Twitter earlier today. When James Harden got asked about the capital bond or the capital attack, he basically said, oh, I didn't see that happen. Does he seem like a great teammate fit for Kyrie right now? Probably not. That's so, a very good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how concerned I should be about them right now, but at the very least, I probably would be thinking about guard insurance a little bit. You mentioned Patty Mills off show is like a Dinwiddie trade target. I That wouldn't be the worst thing to me right now. Yeah, Patty Mills is playing the best basketball of his career. I think Jack, Jack Maloney on our site a little feature on Patty Mills and how he's been able to uh, take his game to the next level here. But yeah, he's, he's just like, you know, championship experience, super consistent playoff performer. Um, obviously a veteran been around for a long time, seen it all. So uh, I would, I would like that, but I guess my only concern is, is he too little to play significant minutes uh, in the playoffs defensively? Well, let me ask a broader question about the Kyrie situation. Let's say Kyrie comes back and that's all good. 
How do you handle the rotation? How do you stagger those three guys? God, that's a good question. I feel like like KD can play with anyone, so you got to work be concerned with staggering Kyrie and Harden. I agree. Yeah. Now, my thought would be the one who plays alone is Kyrie because he's the one who's going to touch the ball least of the three when they're on the floor together. So if you want to satisfy him and let him do his on-court art, you know, that's kind of the moment to do it. But I think this is something you'd have to experiment with. And, you know, Steve Nash will see it. I mean, I think that they're a team that justifiably would look at the regular season and say, all that matters is preparing for the playoffs. So we'll see every conceivable combination. But that, of course, assumes that Kyrie comes back soon. And I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, if Kyrie doesn't return to the team, that's a whole different issue. How how long? Okay, so when Shams tweeted out, that James Harden has been traded to the Brooklyn Nets. How long did you think, oh my God, did they trade Kyrie Irving for him before you found out what the trade was? So we were just a little inside baseball here. We have a Slack channel where all the CBS NBA writers congregate and share our work and so forth. When that news broke, the first message under it was another NBA writer just writing Kyrie Irving with three question marks. And I'm like, oh my God, was it Kyrie? And then I get a text of somebody asking me, oh, is Kyrie in this deal? I'm starting to think like, have you people seen something that I haven't? <laughs> and finally, we get like two minutes in and we see the deal. And then obviously Kyrie isn't in it, but there's a part of me that's thinking like, well, this keeps developing. Would it be so crazy if they traded Kyrie to a fifth team? I don't know, maybe. That would have been so crazy if it was like the last <laughs> thing that came out. Like, oh, also, Karis LeVert's going to the Pacers and Kyrie Irving is going to the Wizards. Like, wait, what? So... I mean, could they trade Kyrie? Like, let's say he misses another 20 games. What happens? Do you trade him as a salary figure? Like, what if he announces his retirement? Like, I, I mean, that's obviously not something that we need to really consider right now. But I don't know what to say about Kyrie, man. Like, I don't know what you do. I don't know if he comes back. Is How, how long can he be gone before he's not welcome? How does KD feel about this? I don't know. Man, this is confusing. I'm glad that I'm not in that locker room. Yeah, and I mean, it's been talked about ad nauseum, but I mean, y- you couldn't pick three stronger, odder personalities to throw together than Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. They've all had their own issues in the past with uh, getting inside their feelings. So, yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. I just, like I say with all these teams, like, it's probably going to look great in the beginning. Uh, I just want to see it after that first four or five game losing streak and what happens to that team in that locker room. So, well, yeah, I want to see when they're in Milwaukee for game one and Giannis has 33 points midway through the third quarter. Like, how do they respond to that? A lot of, like, shrugging and, like, pointing fingers at each other. I think Well, there's going to be a lot of hard dagger stares that don't involve any pointing. <laughs> That's the Harden way. They'll all just point at Andre Drummond because he missed his defensive assignment. Okay, well, here's the last thing before we close up. Just a, a minor thing about the Nets that has bothered me since the offseason. Is that like I, I hate to say this about a team that has a $90 million luxury tax bill? They're a little cheap. And here's what I mean Garrett Temple, very useful 3D player that they could really use right now, had a team option for $5 million. They let him go. Not obviously, not only is he a very good player, at least in the context that they would need him, he's an awesome locker room guy. They could really use that right now. I don't know who the great locker room guy on their bench is right now. They don't have a Jared Dudley. They don't have a Garrett Temple right now. So that would also be something that I would probably look for on the buyout market. And Tyler then, Johnson? Uh, Tyler Johnson bringing the heat in the locker room? 
I've never spoken to Tyler Johnson. Maybe you have, maybe you know him better, but like, he's not somebody that having been in locker rooms, I think of as some great teammate, some savant. So I don't know, maybe you know him better than I do, but he's not no. somebody that I think of in that way. I absolutely. Uh, and then not. the other thing is, we mentioned the mid-level exception. The only reason they have it is because they didn't use it in free agency when there were good free agents out there, right? Now, they tried to use it on Serge Ibaka, but it shouldn't have been Serge Ibaka or Buzz. They should have used that on somebody else who was out there and at least added another reserve that they could have right now. They're not going to get as good a player with that mid-level exception on the buyout market as they would have in actual free agency. And that's something that's bugging me because they're going to end up, in my opinion, one or two players short when it's all said and done. They might have had those guys on the roster. This brings us to the point, like, when when did we know – we knew James Harden was available before the season started, right? So it, did they decide to do this trade, like, because of the Dinwiddie injury or because of something that's transpired? Or do you think that this was – as I think soon this as was James Houston. Harden became available, that's like, we're doing this? I think this was Houston – I think Brooklyn was in right away. I think this was Houston holding off until Harden's press conference – where he said this is unfixable, and they decided, you know what, we got to move forward with it. This moved very quickly, right? Like, I personally am on the West Coast. I woke up this morning at around 11 a.m., and I see a bunch of tweets from Woj saying it's going to happen today, it's going to happen today. That's not something that's normal, right? Like, either this thing drags out for months on end, or you get it right out of the blue. You don't usually get this buildup where it's like, it is happening today, which leads me to believe that this was something that Houston decided last night after Harden spoke, and then they just said, screw it, we're moving forward. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And like for for it to like follow the schedule like that, to all of a sudden be like, this is going to happen soon, probably today, and then like a couple hours later, like, oh, here's the trade. Everybody's like, wait a second. It never works like this. It's always like, Kawhi's well, going to sign in the first couple of days, and then three weeks later, you're like, where's Kawhi signing? Well, what, what it seemed like to me was they had this Brooklyn offer on the table for a while, and then they were negotiating with Philly all day today over Tyrese Maxey, over picks, over protections, whatever. And they finally reached a point with Philly where the Sixers just said, you know what? This is too much. We're walking away from the table. And that's when they called the Nets and said, OK, we're going to do this. We're going to move forward. Imagine holding up a James Harden trade because of Tyrese Maxey. I mean, the counterpoint to that. Come is, on, man. Tyrese Maxey's good, man. He's good. My but theory, he's been good I for mean, three games. We'll do another podcast on this at some point. My theory is that Daryl Morey is looking around and thinking, why am I trading all of my chips for a 31-year-old James Harden when I could maybe trade Simmons straight up for a 26-year-old Bradley Beal and keep Maxi and keep Thibel? And then all of a sudden, in two years, when the Lakers have aged out, when the Nets have inevitably imploded, I'm looking at Embiid, Beal, Maxi, Thibel, Harris, like a good young team that might become the new favorite. That's my theory. Sam, this is why you're a pro, man, because you just take one trade, a huge blockbuster trade, and you just segue right into the next one. Like, why are we still talking about hard? We need to be talking about about Bradley Peel. It's always about the next one. That's the point of this podcast. Trades happen. They're dead and gone, but rumors last forever. So with last, just to wrap up the Nets, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Who do you think of those players you mentioned would you say is most likely to be a net by the end of the year? Man, that's tough. I'm going to say no, Trevor. That's why I ask, I ask the tough questions. I'm going to say Ariza just because he and Harden have the relationship from Houston. He seems pretty available. The Thunder do not seem like the sort of team that would hold him up, either if it's a trade with Dinwiddie or if it's, you know, a buyout, something. I, I would go with Trevor Ariza. 
That's a good call. I, th- I think I like that Thaddeus Young too, but I would say Ariza kind of fits the mold as just a plug and play veteran who can play multiple positions. And played for a million teams, right? Has he played yeah. with Durant at any point? No, no, he hasn't. He hasn't played good with question. Him. He's only played with Harden, but playing with Harden is enough. Kyrie is, a, or rather, um, Durant has so many former teammates on this team that I think Harden is owed one. Fair enough. And you got to keep Harden happy because if you don't, he'll point the finger at you and throw basketballs in your head. This guy's happy. <laughs> I feel so bad for Steve Nash, man. That guy was just enjoying his retirement when his old teammate comes up and says, how do you feel about coaching my basketball team? And now he's in this hell. He could have been like in the consulting role for the Warriors, just living the dream, not having any Steve pressure, hang, hanging out with Steph to- Curry every day. I used to live in Steve Nash's neighborhood. That dude seemed like just so happy and chill and content with his life. You know, I used to see him skateboarding around Tribeca in New York. Man, right now, it's just, it, it can't be that, is all well, I'm going to say. If, if you see him at the end of the year, you're not going to recognize him because he's going to have aged, aged about 45 yeah. years by the time the season ends. But I guess we're both in agreement that the Nets need to do something and they probably will do something by the end of the year. So. On top of all their chemistry, uh, you know, issues that they have to deal with and, and coalesce, uh, they also have some roster issues that they need to upgrade. So, Sam, uh, are, are you more excited about the NBA now that James Harden has actually been traded, or was the anticipation more more fun for you? The anticipation was more fun. I wanted to see him in Philly or Golden State, and we've talked about that in the past. But honestly, the more I watch games this season, the more I just think nobody's going to beat the Lakers, man. They're so good. You always got to bring it back to the Lakers. They're Sam, so good. Sam Quinn, thank you so much for joining me. Enjoy Las Vegas. Please stay safe and stay healthy out there.